Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Well, hello and happy Halloween. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. Welcome to The Inner Life here on this Monday, Monday of the 31st week in ordinary time, of course, All Hallows' Eve, uh, tomorrow All Saints' Day. Uh, Now, do you remember those words of Jesus when he was at the Last Supper and he tells the 12 apostles that one of them will betray him? All the apostles, they start questioning him right away. They all say, surely it is not I, Lord. Then Jesus, he makes this statement about Judas where he says, it would be better for that man if he had never been born. (laughs) That's, That's pretty strong. If you heard someone say that about you, how would you react? It would be better if you had never been born. Well, so somewhere around, I don't know, it was 2002, 2003, I had gone to the library, I borrowed a book, read a a biography on a famous historical figure. I'm not going to tell you who it is quite yet, I'll I'll tell you in a minute here, but in the preface of that biography, the author said something very similar to those words of Jesus. The author said that because of all the upheaval caused throughout the world by this individual, it would very likely have been better for the world if this person had never actually existed. This person, through his writings, through his teachings, and everything that followed after, it led to all kinds of political and social and economic chaos. And, of course, I'm sure you could think of a few different people who might fit that category, but I'll give you a little brief background on who this person is. First of all, he was born in Germany in the year 1483. That's only nine years prior to Christopher Columbus's famous first voyage across the Atlantic. So born in Germany, 1483, excelled in school. At the age of 17, he started studying at a local university, and within four years, already had his master's degree. And his father wanted him to continue with school and then go into law, but this person, this individual, wanted to go into philosophy. But then... As he was riding back to the university, this is in his early 20s, he's already got his master's degree, the next year he's planning to go back. While he's traveling, there's a thunderstorm that breaks out while he's riding his horse back to the university, and a lightning bolt strikes really close to him, right next to him, and he cries out and prays to St. Anne, the mother of Mary. And he promised if she helped him survive the storm, he would become a monk. And having made it through the storm... Having survived, well, he keeps his promise. He left the university, he sold his books, and he entered a monastery. He became an Augustinian friar. And then he was ordained in the year 1507 
And then the very next year, he began teaching theology at the University of Wittenberg in Germany. And so he does that, and then four years later, in the year 1512, he receives his doctorate in theology and becomes the chair of the theology department there at that university. So this is, you know, I mean, there's a few, you know, interesting tidbits about his life, but nothing so far that would seem to cause any sort of problems on a global scale. But then, if we skip ahead about five years, we get to this one big event that changes everything. And it was actually on this day, on Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, October 31st, and the year was 1517. This is the day that over 500 years ago, this German monk, he made a number of official complaints about the Catholic Church. And as the story goes, he nailed this document, his complaints, his 95 theses, it was called, to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church there in the town. And this was the event. This was the catalyst. It started all these numerous splinters of Christianity. By now, you might have figured out, I'm talking about Martin Luther. And because of this action, because of Luther posting his disputes with the church there on the door of the church, things changed then throughout Europe. And those ripples, they impacted every corner of the world in the decades and then the centuries following. I'm sure that Martin Luther had no clue as to the massive impact his complaints about the Catholic Church would have on the world when he did that, when he presented those, made them public back in 1517. But do you know what one of the main complaints that Martin Luther had with the Catholic Church at the time? He took issue with indulgences. He saw that there was what he thought was corruption within the Catholic Church regarding the sale, the abuse of indulgences. So today we thought it would be an appropriate day to talk about what indulgences are. There can be a lot of confusion uh, that surrounds indulgences, so we want to try and clear up any of that confusion. And we want to know how we receive an indulgence along with how receiving one is supposed to help us grow stronger in our faith. And so that's, that's the topic here today on this Halloween uh, edition of The Inner Life. And joining me as our spiritual director, Father Chris Walsh is with us once again. And Father Chris Walsh is a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. He's the pastor of St. Cecilia's Church in Philadelphia. Father, welcome back to The Inner Life. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here for this great topic on this uh, wonderfully historic day, especially as we approach All Saints and All Souls Day. Right. Yeah. We've got two just back-to-back big feasts coming up uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. And, you know, as we do look at this topic of indulgences, Father, big contention point for Martin Luther back there, you know, over 500 years ago. Someone might even ask, why are we bothering to talk about them today? Are they even relevant for a modern Catholic in the 21st century? How would you respond to that? Yeah, I think it's always a great question to look at this event in history, and with all the other problems we face, is, is it even worthwhile? Well, you know, Christ prays for the unity of his church, and certainly the the, the Protestant Reformation that, that Luther launched, along with other uh, European uh, figures has certainly led to the splintering of the church right over these last 505 years uh, into thousands and thousands of divisions. So I think understanding where they came from. I think also there's, you know, historians will go back and forth whether or not Luther intended to 
you know, break off into a different church, probably not in the beginning, but he was pointing out areas that needed reform. And I think we're a church that always needs reform. And I think it's worthwhile looking at what he was seeing so that we don't go down the way that he went, but but still seek to bring the church to great renewal. Well, so let's start there then, you know, maybe we can dive into a little bit more of the history of what surrounds. Why does he write these 95 theses, you know, these 95 uh, complaints that he says it seems like the church needs to reform in this area? Yeah, I I think that, you know, Luther lived at a, a, a rather unique time in history. I guess every time is unique, we could say, Josh, right? Um, you know, but but the church was, you know, there was the Orthodox Church and there was the Catholic Church. And the church was very much tied into, um, you know, political life um, and families, particular families. And, and oftentimes there was this bleeding over that, that families that were ruling families in different countries in Europe would be sure to control the church and influence the church by having their their sons and nephews appointed cardinals. Um, and, and certainly there were lots of people in positions of power in the 15th and 16th century, um, you know, who, who didn't get there by the hand of God necessarily. Uh, certainly God could have used them to do good, but sadly there were spirits that were unholy that were using them in other ways as well. And so, uh, you know, Luther's own personal life uh, certainly factors into that. You mentioned the storm and his promise that if he got through with it, he'd abandon his career of law. Like, I, I think most voc- vocation directors would would want a little more discernment than I made a, yeah. than I made a deal to get through a storm. Um, you know, but I think a lot of factors go together to create this perfect storm that becomes the Reformation. Uh, the theses themselves really, um, you know, there's a calling out regarding indulgences uh, to the Pope at a time when the Pope was was quote unquote selling indulgences, particularly to raise money for the building of of what we now know as St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. But the theses really went around mostly two areas, which are things that you know, St. Augustine himself wrestled with, Luther having been an Augustinian priest. Um, faith alone. So in other words, you know, how are we saved? Is it by just our faith that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior? Or is it faith carried out in works, the way that we live? So yes, I say that Jesus Christ is my Savior, but my life needs to reflect that. Um, now, how that's interpreted throughout history, obviously the, the, the pendulum goes one way or the other. The second thing, and that would be sola fide, um, the second big issue for Luther is sola scriptura, scripture alone, meaning uh, we don't need the hierarchy of the church to tell us. Luther himself was a scripture scholar, and he believed that you know the answers for salvation were perhaps found more in the in, in the in the word itself rather than uh, a hierarchical structure, sort of a teaching office of the church that tell us, well, this is what this means and this is what this means. And so that becomes sola fide, faith alone. Of course, people point out the the irony that um, if it's faith alone and scripture alone, neither are alone. Right. Uh, 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 so there's a little bit of an implicit uh, challenge there, but it's particularly around faith alone, meaning I don't need faith and the church and scripture alone, I, I don't, or uh, faith alone, I don't need works. And sola scriptura, I just need the scripture. I don't need the church itself. But again, as that plays out, the question is, are you going to have a, a magisterium or a teaching office that is universal with the Catholic church? Or is my magisterium just going to be housed with my local pastor? Right. Well, and as you're even talking about these two uh, kind of veins that he explores and he wrestles with, 
And I, I, I don't want to make this kind of a beat up on Martin Luther moment here, but you know, there is historical record that even with Scripture, he wanted to remove four different books from the New Testament That's right. um, because they didn't agree with his theology that he's looking at with that sola fide, that by faith alone um, kind of view of Christianity. And so there, there's some underlying problems here. He, he also, I mean, just again, historical context, unique time that he lives in, the printing press is all of a sudden there. And the ability to have things reproduced rather than have to have a Bible that is completely handwritten, now it can be printed out. He ends up creating his own uh, German translation of the Bible. Uh, You know, others start doing this in other languages as well. And instead of this extremely costly process of having to reproduce a Bible. Bibles can start being reproduced far cheaper, and it means that the average person can now start to afford and be able to read on their own the Bible. So there's a lot of things that all kind of dovetail here together at this time when Martin Luther is starting to ask these questions and raise these issues. Yeah, and, and with that also the expansion, you know, it's, it's coming at a time when uh, colonialism is starting to develop. You, you mentioned in your introduction, Josh, the you know, Christopher Columbus is coming on the scene right. at the right time, this idea of, of expansion. Um, and, and with this, um, will also become, you know, Luther's reforms will become very quickly politicized, right? So it's hard for us to imagine, but, but within a hundred years, different regions of Germany would declare, based on the prince that was ruling there, right? Uh, if you live here, you're a Catholic. If you live there, you're a Lutheran. Eventually, whole countries would go that way with the reforms of Jörg Zwingli and John Calvin. It's hard for us in pluralistic America to to even conceive of that, that based on where I live, my religion is told to me. But state-sponsored religion was pretty normative, as it is today. The, you know, the, the, the monarch of England is also the head of the Church of England. Right. And so this isn't unknown in our modern times. We just don't often think about it. Yeah. So so we've got all of this is kind of this this setting, this backdrop. Uh and then there's this issue of indulgences. And you know, the idea of indulgences being sold, Martin Luther starts looking at this and there's this this I I think a very uh, it's it's a genuine concern about repentance and about contrition that he brings up, and it's something that is true. We should not rely on some kind of of get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to our faith. That's never going to work. That's not what Christianity is. And so, you know, there's this way that people are making donations, and if you make a donation to help build St. Peter's in the, the Vatican City, then this allows for you to receive an indulgence, but as soon as you start making this indulgence connected with a donation, it seems like, well, this could be just buying your way out of any sort of, uh, you know, repercussions for sins that you're doing. So there is, there's a lot that we could unpack here of what's happening at this moment with indulgences. Oh, how much time do we have? Three weeks? Uh, (laughs) No, I know. Um, Um, I think it starts with the idea that sin has a consequence, right? So when I commit a sin, when I tell a lie, 
when I am gossiping, when I steal something, when I lust after another person, that sin has consequence in my life, right? First off, it sets me in a particular direction, right? It may fracture my relationship with God. If it's a serious sin, it could very seriously, uh, mortally fracture my relationship with God. It also has an impact on other people, right? Because there's a breakdown of trust. There's a breakdown of goodness. There's a breakdown of goodwill. But it also does something to me at my core. And this is something where, where Luther sort of went very far from the 1500-year tradition of Catholicism. You know, we believe that we're created good and, and that that's always the case. Luther struggled with that, Josh. Uh, Luther had an image that even in salvation, he, he said we were like a dunghill covered in snow. Right. So if we scrape away the snow, there's still a dunghill. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. However, we do believe that sin does have an effect on me, that if I continue to, to lie, right, what do we even say about that in our average language? Then I become a liar, <laughs> right? There's an effect of that in my life. And so when I go to confession, or if I'm not a Catholic, when I pray and I ask God to forgive me, God wants to forgive me. If I'm, if I'm coming with a pure heart, with a good desire, God forgives me. However, there's still those effects. Right? In the Sacrament of Reconciliation, the Church actually forgives us not only in the name of God, but also in the name of others. We're reconciled to others, which is how we're able to come back to Holy Communion. But there's still that wound in me that, that, that takes time to overcome. And how do I overcome it? Well, that's the idea of a penance. Right? When the priest says, do a penance, right? it's not a condition on your forgiveness. Right? People have asked me, I forgot my penance, Father. Does it mean I need to go to confession again? No, you're still forgiven. What the penance seeks to do is help me overcome the effects of sin, what we call the temporal effects of sin. So in a, in a, in a non-religious uh, example, Josh, if I, if I throw a baseball, right, and here in Philadelphia, we're all excited about baseball because our, our World Series Phillies are, are, are playing. Uh, but if I throw a baseball and, 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 the, and the kid from our school who's supposed to catch the baseball doesn't catch the baseball, he misses it, and it breaks someone's window. You know, I have to go knock on that person's door and say, I'm so sorry, I threw the baseball and, 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 I, and I broke your window. And hopefully they'll forgive me. Father, I forgive you, I forgive you. But we still have a problem. <laughs> the, the window needs to get fixed. You know, I, I need to pay to have the window fixed or I need to do the work to fix the window. In the same way, if I'm committing sins of pride or, or greed or lust or, or, or anger, well, I, I need to somehow do a penance that's going to uh, amend that. And so that's why penances are ideally suited towards our sin. If my sins are around selfishness, then the penance should be around generosity. If my sins are around pride, then perhaps the penance should be something around faith and growing in greater trust of God. So that's where this whole theology originates from. And then it becomes, okay, an act of charity, you know, will gain you an indulgence. And, and I'm, I'm going to have a hard time articulating this, but I think what the church's explanation of indulgences were saying was by the fact that you're doing this, you are healing those temporal effects of sin. So by giving of money, by an act of charity, you know, what are you doing? You're giving money, which means you're saying no to yourself. Right, there's a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice. And that, that actually, again and again, those sacrifices make me more charitable. They make me more generous. They set me on the course of virtue. So it was not the quid pro quo that Luther 
you know, proclaimed it to be. And, and in all accounts, I mean, I think Luther was probably spot on with some of the stuff. You know, because what it had come was not you have an act of charity, you have this act of generosity, you could spend money on fixing up your, your house, but instead you're going to donate it to build this beautiful church for the glory of God. Unfortunately, it became, you know, don't worry about your disposition, just send the money. Right. Yeah. And and that becomes then, it, it it's a matter of, of kind of heart attitude as you're approaching this, because if it does become, don't worry about your disposition toward God or toward sin, then we find ourselves where we really are trying to just buy an indulgence. We're trying to buy our way into repairing that, you know, that, that metaphor, that broken window that you're talking about there, rather than approaching, knocking on the door, actually saying, I'm sorry, having the penitence as we go to try and, and say, will you forgive me? But then I also need to repair what's been broken here. Father, need to take a real quick break. Um, when we come back, let's also talk about not only that repairing, the indulgence that we're talking about here as the Catholic Church teaches about it, but sometimes we'll hear about partial indulgences. Sometimes we'll hear about plenary indulgences. Um, there's a lot to unpack here and understand about the Church's teaching. Again, talking with Father Chris Walsh here on The Inner Life today, and maybe you have a question about indulgences, you're welcome to call in 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And maybe you've been able to receive an indulgence in the past. How has that helped you? How has that allowed you to experience that freedom from past sins, to be able to see the repairing that's happened in that relationship with uh, Christ, with the Church? Again, our phone number, 888-914-9149. Back in just a moment here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We receive over a million prayer requests every year, thanks in part to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line, helping us stay connected to your intentions. Learn how our sponsor can support your family with life insurance at relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, speaking today with Father Chris Walsh. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, pastor of St. Cecilia's Church there in Philly, and also taking your phone calls as we talk about indulgences today here on The Inner Life. Our phone number, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Maybe you have a question about what an indulgence is, how to receive an indulgence, um, some of the different uh, specifications that are required to receive that indulgence. You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Chris Walsh. And coming up later, we're also going to talk about different ways that you can receive an indulgence. Uh, Father, so you were talking about how there's this understanding of the repair that has to happen. You know, even though forgiveness is given, there's still some sort of temporal damage that is done with us. And whenever we commit sin, you know, the, the catechism uh, of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1472, it talks about how sin has a double consequence. And you were talking about that. You know, there, there's the eternal punishment side of things, but then 
that can be forgiven. The other is that temporal punishment. And then the catechism, it points out in this section, it says, on the two consequences of our sin, the eternal and the temporal, it says, quote, these two punishments must not be conceived of as a kind of vengeance inflicted by God from without, but as following from the very nature of sin. Can you kind of unpack this for us? What what does it mean when the Catechism says it follows from the very nature of sin? Great question, Josh. Thank you. Uh, a friend of mine, um, you know, is painting uh, an apartment that, that had belonged to his mother, uh, fixing it up to, to, to rent it out to someone. And uh, he, he doesn't do a lot of painting. And so, as you can imagine, as he got in there with his roller, uh, after about five hours one day, um, he goes home and goes to bed and wakes up the next morning. And what's going on? He's got this horrific shoulder pain. You know, his, the, the muscles and everything in his shoulder are totally inflamed because, you know, he, he's not used to doing that. And so there, there's an effect on his body. Um, now, now what, what needs to happen? Well, he either needs to decide to hire someone else to finish the rest of the painting um, or he's, he's got to deal with that. Um, you know, and, and physical therapists would say, well, take an anti-inflammatory, um, you know, push through it. You, know, you need to develop some muscles there. Um, but, but there's got to be something. He just can't sit there and say, oh, my shoulder hurts, my shoulder hurts, my shoulder hurts, my shoulder hurts, right? Um, if he goes back to, to painting without it, I mean, the pain's going to get worse, you know, and then eventually with some stretching, again, with some Advil, whatever, it's going to get better. Well, again, I can't just sin and sin and sin, Right. Um, take one that many of us struggle with, gossip, right? I, I can't just gossip, gossip, gossip all week long. Gossip about people at work, gossip about the priest, gossip about my sister-in-law, gossip about the politicians, um, slander people again and again and again, go to confession on Saturday afternoon, and think that that's not going to affect me the next time I see something on the news, right? I, I need to move in a different direction and begin to heal the consequences of the habit, whether the habit is the way I'm, I'm moving my arm in painting a wall, where the habit is, uh, I slander people. Uh, there's going to be an effect, right? We, we, we're body and soul, and the effects are, are, are found in both. And, and so it's there. It's there whether the church says it or not. It's there. The church says it's there because it's true. As we study human nature, as we pay attention to ourselves, that's why forming good habits is so difficult, because we have to overdo, undo the bad habits. And, and again, I believe that the church sort of uses this term of indulgence, you know, and, and again, if, if I say that I had an indulgent weekend, what does it mean? Why well, I, I ate lots of good food, I, I, I drank beer, I, I laid around and watched Netflix, right? Uh, the idea of a favor, right? Or a teacher may indulge a student by allowing them to pass in something later. And so what is an indulgence? Well, the church, which is the deposit of grace, Christ died on the cross for the church, all the graces are there in the storehouse of the church. So as someone makes a turn and says, you know what, I'm going to do something charitable, the church delights and says, okay, well, I'm going to, we're going to help you. We're going to pour out this grace upon you, right? So again, it's not this quid pro quo so much as the fact that, you know, since you're a member of the church, the church has this treasury of grace from masses and prayers and the intercession of those in heaven. And we want to help the person who's making this turn toward God. And so traditionally, things attached to, you know, you make a pilgrimage, you get an indulgence. You read the scripture, you get an indulgence. Uh, 
you know, you, you pray for the Holy Father, you get, you get an indulgence. You, you know, the, the act of charity, caring for the poor, you get an indulgence. Those types of things, because why? This is a good thing that's going to lead you on the path to virtue. And so the church is going to attach extra graces, extra favor being poured out upon you. Well, and as you're describing this too, you know, some of the, a couple of the phrases you mentioned that if, if you're going to go to confession, but you've been committing that sin day in, day out, that that'll have an impact on, even after going to confession, it'll still have that kind of impact on you. And you said, we, we have to, if we want to let go of that, we have to move in a different direction, or we have to undo that bad habitual behavior. I mean, that really comes down to the concept of, of repentance, you know, that right. we, we aren't just simply saying, okay, forgiveness is enough. No, forgiveness is, of course, imperative. We have to be forgiven because we have that stain of original sin. And when we are forgiven, that, that opens the doorway for us to receive those graces. But it can't just be forgiveness alone. There has to be the repentance, the actual turning away the turning around, that 180-degree turn away from the sin that we have been doing. And then, as you're talking about these works of charity, these works of sacrifice, these works of generosity, whatever it might be, it's helping to fill up what might be left over, that empty space where you're turning away from that sin, not doing that sin anymore. You're filling it up with what is good and what is true and what is beautiful. And, and that's it. And we always have to be mindful. Again, our relationship with the Church— you know, somebody say, oh, the church, people think, oh, you know, the, the, the bishops that I don't necessarily agree with, or I, I don't like the Pope doing this, or my pastor does this. No, we have to think of the church in a very different way, which is, the, you know, the, the, the body of Christ on earth, right? And, and the church at every level, right? And, and certainly we have our differences theologically and pastorally and liturgically, but the church herself was founded by Christ with one purpose, to save souls. And so indulgences, even when they were misused or misunderstood, it flows from a place of giving people the grace they need, the incentive they need to live a life of virtue and goodness and holiness, right? Uh, again, every parent knows this, right? Uh, we have today at our, at our parish school here at St. Cecilia's parent-teacher conferences. So I have no doubt that there are parents going home saying to their child, listen, you need to work on the math score and you need to sit in your class in your desk a little bit better, right? And, and cooperate. And the kid's going to say, okay, okay. And the mother will say, or the father, okay, listen, if you do this, right, that new baseball glove, I'm going to get it for you, right? Or, you know, you, you wanted to go back to the trampoline park, we're, we're going to go, right? This extra incentive. Or you need to work harder at math, you know what? I'm going to get you a tutor. <laughs> I'm going to get you a tutor, and that's going to set you on the path to a better math score, right? We understand this, and we appreciate these indulgences in every other aspect of life, why do we not see it when our mother, the church, is doing it for us in our ways of conversion and holiness? Right. It, we're, yeah, the church is incentivizing us in the same way that we would incentivize that young child. Um, uh, Father, so let's talk about two different words we hear connected with indulgences, a plenary indulgence and a partial indulgence. Can you explain the difference for us? I'm going to try. <laughs> Uh, so the church, you know, has its own system of law, right? Some people like law, they like the details, they like the fine print. 
Other people, oh, this is ridiculous. But the truth is, we need it, right? We need it. We don't always read the fine print. My personality, I'm not someone who reads the fine print. And then when I sign up for the free, you know, app for my computer, and then, you know, 60 days later, they're saying, well, now you owe us $8.99 a month. I'm like, oh, I should have read the small print, right? So let's just take the concept of an indulgence. Um, a plenary indulgence uh, is just what it means. A plenary is a full indulgence, right? With an asterisk. In order to receive a plenary indulgence, which is a complete remission of sin, or the punishment due to sin, rather, um, I have to have some, some conditions. In particular, I have to hate sin and have no attachment to sin. I don't know about you, Josh. I'm not there yet. Yeah, I know. Well, and that's, I, I know the different conditions, and that was going to be my biggest question for you, is, you know, there's the others, the going to confession. Going to confession at some point, you right. know, a few days on either side, praying for the Holy Father, attending uh -huh. Mass, and receiving Holy Communion. Right. Now, where does a plenary indulgence factor in in most people's lives? Well, what's, what's called the apostolic pardon. If, if when I go, and it's a great joy as a priest, uh, I, I sometimes jokingly call it the get out of jail card free, that when I'm with someone who is, is close to death, you know, and so hopefully I've been with them and, and their conscience, which please, when you have loved ones who are dying, don't wait until they're unconscious, right? We want them to be conscious and, and able to talk and make a good confession and receive Holy Communion and then receive this apostolic pardon, which carries with it a plenary indulgence from the church. And hopefully at that point, and oftentimes I think it is the case, you've been purified of everything. You have no attachment to sin anymore. You're just wanting to love and receive love. Now, again, if we don't meet that condition of, of a plenary indulgence because we either didn't go to confession or we didn't uh, go, make it to Mass or we forgot to pray for the Holy Father, or in most of our cases, I still have an attachment to sin, well, well then the church offers us this idea of a partial indulgence. You know, so it's not an all or nothing. The church is saying, don't worry about it. You're still going to receive grace. Yeah. Right? You're still going to receive grace. And, and God's going to continue to work on you in his favor, in his love, in his mercy, you know, that, that you might be worthy of salvation. Uh, well, so let's go back to, though, that, that point of having no attachment to sin, one of those conditions to receive the indulgence. You know, I, I, I think, at least in my own life, mm, there might be small moments here and there where it's, you know, okay, whatever has happened has really, you know, the grace of God, the, the Holy Spirit working in my, my life, sure, there can be those moments where I have no attachment to sin, but as a whole, um, it's going to be very, very difficult. Like you said, you know, you're not there yet, I'm definitely not there yet. There's going to be that, even if it's just that small moment of not having an attachment to sin, just for whatever reason, I really experience that true grace of understanding love and charity, even if it's fleeting. Um, is that is that enough to allow me to receive that plenary indulgence? Well, certainly we we we, we trust in the in the goodness of God, right? Again, God knows our heart. I don't even know that we always know our level of attachment. Yeah, right. And so I th I think it's one of these. Uh, uh, I, I learned the expression some years ago, fake it till you make it. Um, so I, I'm going to live as though I'm detached from sin, and I'm going to believe that I'm there uh, and, and hope that God sees the same thing, right? That, that I'm not the one seeing or keeping track. I think it's, in my own opinion, this is not you know theologically uh, speaking necessarily, but 
for my own opinion, I think if we're going to be someone who's going to try to sit there and keep track of how many indulgences I got, and, and I do get a kick if you find prayer cards from like the 1920s and 30s that sometimes you find in missiles and thrift shops or pe cleaning out people's houses, it'll have on there, you know, if you say this, this prayer every day for 30 days, you get uh, 100 days off of purgatory and a plenary indulgence. Okay, well, like God's not following our, you know, uh, accounting system. Sure, and, and on, what on does a day mercy. mean in heaven or in purgatory? Exactly. Because there's, yeah, it's beyond our conception of time. And, and, and the modern church is certainly not using that kind of a language. But, but I want to constantly look at myself. Do I have an attachment to sin? Now, again, that's not a condition for my forgiveness, right? As long as I'm, I'm making an effort to move away from sin. The church is going to forgive us in the sacrament of reconciliation, but but this part, the, the second part of the temporal punishment, there's a little bit more involved because our human condition is is weak and broken, and again, this is where Martin Luther, I feel, sort of went off the rails, um, you know, and I and I think that we we often maybe misunderstand what direction he was coming from. Luther wasn't thinking that the church was too merciful. Um, it was I'm sorry, Luther wasn't thinking the church wasn't merciful enough. He thought the church was too merciful. Right, Luther and, and certainly you know Calvin following him had this idea that the church talked too much about heaven, that there were more people destined for hell, um, and, and so there's often this this modern read on Luther and other reformers that that is is really not accurate, that that all of this flows from the desire of the church to to help us become saints. Well, and, and that just points back to. If we think we can do it on our own anyway, we're fooling ourselves. You know, we, we, of course, give intellectual assent. We, you know, make whatever strides that we can. But it's not like we can do anything to save ourselves. We can't do anything to forgive ourselves. You know, I mean, it, th there's all kinds of problems if you start making it about, well, what can I do? Um, you know, to try and receive or achieve or, you know, whatever it is in the spiritual life. It, it has to be an understanding that God is the one who gives us everything that we have. Um, I want to throw out the phone number again here, as today we're talking about indulgences on the inner life, 888-914-9149. If you have a question, you're welcome to call in and speak with our spiritual director, Father Chris Walsh, 888-914-9149. Father, we've got James, who's calling in from Albuquerque, New Mexico. James, welcome to the inner life. You're on the air with Father Chris. Uh, uh, good morning, Father Walsh. Um, so... You know, if I bypass the priest and confession, can I just go ahead and proceed with the indulgence by saying, let's say, Stations of the Cross? Can I do that? Well, certainly we, we only need the Sacrament of Reconciliation for any type of mortal sin. And so in order to be absolved of mortal sin, you know, the Church recommends and, and, and sort of requires confession because we need that restoration not only in relationship with God, but also to the church. Um, so if I'm not mindful of any serious sin, then certainly the, the indulgences are, are, are flowing in abundance. It's not necessarily connected to the sacrament of reconciliation. Uh, the other thing that might be good to point out here too, you know, if, if that's the case, you know, there's numerous ways that you can receive an, an indulgence, but it would then fall into that category of partial indulgence because one of the requirements to receive that complete, that plenary indulgence, 
is, along with attending Mass, receiving the Eucharist, praying for the Pope's intentions, having no attachment to sin. The other uh, uh, condition is go to confession at some point within the week. And so that, in that sense, it's tied there if you want to receive that plenary, that full indulgence. So I hope that helps, James. And again, our phone number, 888-914-9149, our email address, innerlife at relevantradio.com. And Father, uh, let's talk about some of the other ways that we can receive indulgences. You mentioned reading Scripture. You know, James talked about praying the Stations of the Cross. And there's some other ways, too, especially a big one coming up here in just a couple of days. And we'll talk about that next here on The Inner Life. Again, our phone number, if you'd like to call in and join the program, 888-914-9149. Back in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Thanks for joining us here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app, talking about indulgences today here on this Halloween, the uh, eve of All Hallows, All Saints Day tomorrow. And because All Saints Day is tomorrow, uh, I'm really excited about something we're able to bring back here. We haven't done this maybe for a couple of years, but tomorrow here on Relevant Radio, Every hour, you're going to hear special programming that we call Great Stories About Great Saints. And uh, all day long, sunrise to sunset, you can tune in. We're going to devote the entire day to telling stories of these great men, these great women who inspire us to live lives of holiness. And a couple of the ones that we'll be talking about here on the show tomorrow, Blessed Miguel Pro. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, um, but all through the day, I hope you can tune in and learn about different saints every half hour. Um, again, that's all day tomorrow. All you have to do is listen. <laughs> that's as easy as it gets. Uh, we also have some great articles that are already posted on the Relevant Radio website, or you can find them on the Relevant Radio app. And so I'd encourage you to go there and read more about why tomorrow, All Saints Day, is such a great day to celebrate those who have gone before us. And uh, again, here on The Inner Life today, talking with Father Chris Walsh. He's the pastor of St. Cecilia's Church in Philadelphia, talking about indulgences. Our phone number, 888-914-9149, Father, before the break, mentioned that there are a number of different ways that people can receive an indulgence. You talked about reading Scripture. Um, James, one of our prior callers, talked about praying the Stations of the Cross, spending a half hour in Eucharistic adoration. That's another way to receive that. And then there, of course, coming up here in just a couple of days, we have another opportunity to receive an indulgence starting with All Souls Day. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, wonderful. It's you know one of the corporal works of mercy is 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 to pray for the dead or participate in in burying the dead. And again, that incentivization that the church offers us in in, in her indulgence as our mother is to participate in, in in holy mass. Traditionally, you know, going to mass even as a priest, the norm is that I celebrate mass once a day. Uh, All Souls Day, the priest is encouraged to celebrate three masses a day. 
um, one for the intention that, that's offered, one for the, the, the people that he's buried in his priestly ministry, and then one for his own family members who, who have died. Um, so that's a, a beautiful custom. But then the church, in her indulgence, in her, in her graciousness, uh, you know, again, normatively, you're, to, you're only to receive communion once a day. And, and basically that comes from the idea that you, know, you don't get more Jesus if you go twice a day. But the church has long had the custom of encouraging people to attend Mass more than once a day on All Souls Day, even though it's not like going to a daily Mass and then a wedding or a funeral and then the vigil Mass or something like that. But this is the same Mass, the same readings, the same, same prayers, but to attend more than once so that we can offer it for others. Uh, because it, it, it's that idea, pray for your deceased children or parents or spouse. Pray for the souls in purgatory. Pray for the loved ones that you... Um, you maybe have forgotten about and, and break out those funeral cards that perhaps you keep and, and, and share those with others. And then it extends throughout the month of November, often called the month of the holy souls. Uh, indulgences are attached to visiting a cemetery as long as we go there to pray, not just for exercise to walk in the cemetery because there's no cars, but to pray. Um, and again, this is a beautiful, beautiful practice. In recent times, the memento mori thing has, 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 has spread, pray with a, you know, an image of a skull. But but even better to, to go to the place where the dead are buried and, and to pray. My last parish, it was our custom. We could walk to a, a local cemetery and we would take the youth group there to help them overcome that sort of, oh, this is being a cemetery, it's weird or it's it's ghoulish. No, no, this is where souls are buried. And we're going to go and, and name the, read the names on the tombstones and ask God to have mercy, almost a litany of the dead along. So so there are two that are attached uh, to, to, to this week and, and, and to the weeks to come, Josh. Well, and, and as you're saying that, I know uh, a few years ago, the going to a cemetery and praying, it would typically be for the first eight days of November. The last couple of years, that was extended for the entire month of November because of the pandemic that was hitting worldwide. Is that still extended then for the entire month of November this year? I believe it's it's diocese by diocese. Okay. The, the, the bishop sort of invokes that. All right. So you'll have to you'll have to look and see in your own particular diocese or archdiocese if that is the case. Um, Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got Tom who's calling in from Grand Terrace, California. Tom, glad to have you here on the air. Yes. Uh, thank you for taking my call, um, Father Welsh. I have a maybe ask for a little clarification here about offering an indulgence on behalf of a loved one. You kind of touched a little bit upon it, but in terms of doing that, how does the indulgence then uh, address the, the temporal punishment that is still owed and due to that, uh, that family member? How, how does that satisfy? Yeah, and, 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 and just to clarify further, and thank you for your question, Tom, uh, we can offer our own graces and prayers and indulgence we receive for both the living and the dead, right? So I can offer my uh, any indulgences I receive for for a friend who's who's alive, who's trying to overcome sin, but also for those who are in purgatory. Now, this is the key thing: those that are in purgatory, um, you know, those whom God judges to have been unworthy of heaven, they're lost, right? They're lost. Um, however, we believe in this beautiful doctrine of of of, of purgatory which in some ways is a manifestation of the indulgence of God as well. Why is someone in purgatory? Well, because they still have that attachment to sin, right? Um, and the example, and I think I might have used it, Josh, on your program before, you know, my father was a, a, an Archie Bunker type of guy um, who grew up in that greatest generation format 
Um, he, he used to brag to people he had six kids and never changed a diaper. However, my mom had a stroke and my father was transformed. My dad would cut her meat for her. My dad helped bathe her. My dad helped clean her. He was at the nursing home every day serving the needs of others. And my father ended up dying suddenly of a heart attack. And I believe that that year and a half where he cared for my mom was an experience of purgation for him, right? Uh, so, so but, but if someone is in purgatory, still attached to sin, um, I believe that the experience of purgatory, which is perhaps for another, another time, but the experience of purgatory is where I become aware of the effects of my sin. And so my offering, my indulgence is, is doing the exact same thing. Just grace being poured upon that person for their own final purification until they enter into the glory of heaven. Uh, Father, if we have somebody in mind who we want to be able to offer that indulgence for, is, is that all that's required? Just simply that we have that intention that, yeah. you know, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, whoever has passed away, you know, I believe, yeah, they, it, all signs pointed to that they died in a state of grace. They died while being in friendship with God. So I want to be able to offer this. As long as I have that intention, then I can just trust that that, that um, indulgence will be applied to them. Exactly, exactly. And again, the other conditions that in my own life, I'm seeking detachment from sin, I'm praying for the Holy Father, I'm going to communion, I'm going to confession, uh, and, and then I'm sharing those graces. And, and again, reminder, anyone that has offered the uh, St. Louis de Montfort uh, consecration, you've sort of already de facto done that by entrusting all the graces you receive to Mary and allowing her to distribute them. And let's say that I've, I am at a point where I really don't have anybody specific I am offering an indulgence for, um, but you know, even with like the being able to go to the cemetery each day for that indulgence offered here in November, uh, if I'm able to receive an indulgence once a day over the course of, of a week, then can I just simply offer that, say, God, you know who best needs this that that soul in purgatory who doesn't have anyone on earth that's actively praying for them. Exactly, and that's a, a tremendous act of charity. Beautiful, uh, Father. Just before we wrap up, we've only got about uh, twenty seconds here before the music starts playing. But um, if somebody wants to learn more about indulgences, where should they go? Where does we all go? The internet. I think EWTN, <laughs> their website, has a phenomenal resource. And, and I think a lot of the other uh, reliable Catholic uh, internet um, um, websites, where, yeah. you know, where you can learn very good things. Good. And of course, there's the catechism. If you don't have yourself a catechism, pick up one from your local Catholic bookstore. Uh, Father, before we do wrap up the hour, could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Through the intercession of all the angels and saints, may Almighty God bless you and deliver you to glory, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Father Chris Walsh, for being our spiritual director on the program today. A big thank you to Nick Sentovich and Thomas Engesser helping to produce the program. And thank you for listening. And again, want to encourage you to join us back here tomorrow, all throughout the day on All Saints Day, which is also, by the way, a holy day of obligation. Make sure you make plans to attend Mass tomorrow. But tomorrow, great stories about great saints all day long here on Relevant Radio. Every half hour we'll be talking about the life of somebody else who has lived that heroic life of virtue. I hope you can join us here on Relevant Radio tomorrow. Amen.